Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello, and welcome to the 360T Podcast with myself, Galen Stops. And today I'm joined by John Quayle, Head of Client Algo Execution at NatWest Markets. Thanks for joining me today, John. Galen, thank you for inviting me. I'm very pleased to be here. Now, I'm glad that we've got you on because we did a podcast not too long ago talking about FX algos. But it's such a broad topic and the use of these tools continues to grow and grow and grow. So I feel like we could do several of these and barely scratch the surface here. Now, in the previous podcast, we talked a bit about the evolution of the design of the algos themselves. So I wanted to start off with you talking about the evolution of how these algos are being used and specifically what currencies people are using them for. My understanding is that the starting point for algos has traditionally been G10 spot effects, where there's lots of liquidity and it can be traded across multiple different platforms. But are you starting to see people taking these algos and deploying them for trading emerging market currencies? Absolutely. Yes, we are very much so. The most liquid pairs is the natural starting point for any new product, any new method of execution. Then as users become more familiar with how those products work, they will gradually spread out into the less liquid G10 pairs, the crosses, EM pairs, and so on. So that's a natural evolution that, that you're going to see with any product. And it's happening exactly like that with the algos. Is the liquidity there in emerging market currencies for algos to be effective as a means of execution? It is. It all depends on how the user sees the trade-off between certainty, the risk transfer price, and the benefits of an algo versus really the time it takes. With an algo, what you're doing is you're swapping certainty. Uh, You can do a risk transfer and you're done. But that costs a fair bit. It's expensive what they are, but relatively expensive. You can do an algo, and on average, you will get a better outcome. That's why people do them. Users aren't stupid. They do it because in the long run, they'll save money. But of course, you're taking market risk. You're swapping certainty for on that one execution uncertainty. Spot can go up or down. And it's that trade-off that you have for every user has to judge where they sit on that curve. With EM, there's less liquidity. They're going to take longer. So you are going to have to take on more market risk albeit offset that against a wider spread in the EM pairs. But it's just how that uh, relationship sits with the user. Some users will say, well, an EM, EM is a step too far. I won't do that. Others are happy with the concept and know that in the long run, they'll be better off and they're willing to accept the greater market risk. That point about the trade-offs that need to be made when executing via algos is a really interesting one. I do want to come back to that in a moment. But just sticking with the EM question for another minute there, a follow-up question I have for you is, Do people need to use entirely different algos for trading emerging market currencies versus G10? Or could the same ones be carried over from one to the other? The same ones can, absolutely. For example, take a fully passive algo, which will, in many cases, try to leverage the natural two-way flow a liquidity provider has. And the algo will participate in that and try to capture opposing flow. That will work in EM. It'll work in G10. It just takes longer in EM. So again, it comes back to the same challenge, really. How long are you prepared to wait? What rate of sale do you want? If you want to not wait as long, which you inevitably have to for passive EM, then you may choose a more aggressive algo to sort of come back slightly from that extreme case of a very long-running EM algo. So yes, we do see a change to being slightly more aggressive algos based on the uh, situation. Um, And we saw this in the early days of COVID uh, last year as well, where G10 suddenly became a lot more volatile, a lot more EM-like. 
And clients, as we saw it then, did certainly shift their behavior to wanting to get done quicker to reduce the market risk in a higher vol environment. So you can make the same things work, but you may choose to adjust the algo type based on uh, your preference of speed versus certainty again. I wanted to ask you about the client adoption of algos. The broader trend, and we see this on 360T, is clearly towards the greater adoption of algos across the entire FX industry. What I'm curious about is whether there's one particular client segment where you're seeing the fastest uptick in the usage of algos. Recently, it's been corporates. They still make up a relatively small fraction of the total algo volume across the market, as far as we can discern. Hedge funds and real money asset managers are still well ahead. So there's plenty of catching up to do from the corporate side. And that's certainly where we are seeing a greater uptake as corporate clients become familiar with the product, more willing to take on the market risk, and generally happier that they're going to get a good outcome. Okay, so you mentioned a couple of drivers towards more algo usage. But for me, when I think about real money firms and hedge funds not getting the certainty of execution that they would get with a risk transfer, I can understand why they'd be willing to take on this risk, because it might help to reduce the overall execution costs. But corporates are typically less cost sensitive. So for them, is it more of an operational issue? Is that what you're seeing? Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Some uh, corporates are very attracted by the transparency and objectivity you get with an algo. We can uh, provide full breakdown of the details of every single child fill, where it was done, the timestamp, and so on. And they like that. Corporates often want to do an algo with a fixed time frame, so something like a time slice. It may be operating passively rather than crossing the spread, but its rate of execution is controlled by the algo. So they have certainty over the duration, perhaps run a four-hour algo, and they know they will pretty much hit the average spot rate of that four-hour period. And that kind of idea is very, very appealing to them uh, and very, very sensible in many ways. We don't know what spot's going to do today. If you can say, well, I'm going to trade at the average for liquid four hours, that's a very sensible approach, and people like that. When we talk about corporates, is it really only the most advanced treasury departments that you see using algos? Or do you see a broader adoption across corporate clients of all shapes and sizes? Certainly, the bigger corporates with daily flows were the first adopters. And they rather like asset managers, you know, have enough volume that the day-to-day fluctuations on, or the algo and algo variations in outcome will even out over time very nicely for them. But we now see plenty of much smaller corporates or indeed large corporates who might do an algo once a quarter. Uh, and again, provided that they properly understand that over that duration, they're exposed to market risk. Once they understand that, then that's the biggest hurdle. And again, they're very happy, for example, to hit the average of the trading day. We have some corporates who will come in and run a, an eight or a 10 hour algo to hit the average of the trading day. And that's a very good outcome for them. And they made us do that you know, once a quarter, once every six months. One thing we've alluded to a couple of times, but I wanted to drill down on a little bit, is the trend of algo adoption has seen market participants do less risk transfer trades and instead take on the risk of that trade themselves. So the question here is, as algos continue to be used more and more, are we just rolling risk from the sell side to the buy side? And is this good for the FX industry? (laughs) Well, you certainly are. I mean, that's one of the points I've been making is that the algo user is taking on market risk. That would have been for the bank to manage. The bank has less market risk. It's a fee-based agency service for many of the algos available. So they are absolutely taking on that. 
but they're also then reaping some of the benefits of taking on the market risk too, in that, as I said earlier, the average outcome of a good algo is highly likely to beat the risk transfer price on average over time. So in return for taking on the market risk, they are also taking on some of the benefits that come from having that, you know, that level of sophistication. And I think that is a good thing for the market. Algos, I think, have improved execution. Our own market-making desks use very, very similar algos to manage their risk. And I'm sure that's true for most banks as well. So the advent of this technology and the increased automation that it brings, I think, uh, is benefiting all participants, be it buy side or sell side. Certainly, I think that the automation has been, is, and will continue to be a huge theme for people on the buy side. I'm constantly hearing buy side firms talk about how they run a very lean desk and how goes can help them to handle more flows by increasing productivity. Another thing that's been coming up in conversations I've had lately is algo wheels. This seems to be a very hot topic right now, although sometimes they get the nagging sensation that this is just something that people have heard about in equities. They think it sounds cool. And so now they're saying we need them in FX. But you're the expert, so I'm keen to get your perspective on it if and how you're seeing algo wheels being used these days. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, setting aside the name, um, um, <laughs> which might mean different things to different people. Again, I think it's an automation step. It's about putting a framework around the choices that uh, execution desk has to make around which algo, uh, which algo provider, and perhaps the settings on the individual algos as well. It's a very, very rich space, and there's a lot of choices that are available. If you have some performance data for the different algos, or you have other data which might drive your choices, such as the volumes in the liquidity provider or their performance in other products, then that can go into the algo wheel and that can more formalize the choices. So your algos are distributed to the liquidity providers in a more systematic manner. So you're consistent with what your own benchmarks and goals are. I think that's what it's all about. And every user's algo wheel or, you know, or decision matrix or decision tree will look slightly different. But that kind of, again, automation or you know, regularizing those what would have been human choices are is, again, very, very sensible and can only help to improve the outcome for the users. You alluded there to the fact that there's no shortage of choice if you wanted to trade FX algos these days. So the obvious question for me on this is, given not just the number of algo providers out there, but also the number of algos each provider offers, is it hard for firms to accurately benchmark algo performance in an apples-to-apples kind of way? It is one of the harder things about this. Historically, you could just make sure every single RFQ had you know, four, six, eight quotes, take the best quote, uh, job done. That's harder with algos. If you have a lot of algo flow, which some clients do, if you're doing half a dozen a day, you can build up your own database of performance. And the key there is to have a consistent benchmark. The analysis does not need to be sophisticated in itself. Simply tracking slippage from inception mid or versus risk transfer for every algo and being able to build up that history is key. I can't stress enough the benefits of a consistent, simple benchmark in this. It doesn't need rocket science. But the challenge is getting the data. If you're doing an algo frequently, you're just simply not going to have it yourself. And then I think there are two things you can do then. The first is to ask the liquidity providers, the banks, to provide an anonymized history of performance. They all should be able to say, well, okay, here are the last 200 euro dollar executions of Algo X in its default setting. And then you can say, okay, where was the average slippage? You know, that's the average size is 30 million, taking 20 minutes, and slippage from inception is X basis points. Okay. 
That's key information. How does that bank's cargo perform on average with default settings? Secondly, there are third-party TCA providers that can benchmark an individual algo, and they also, depending on the situation, have a historic database of anonymized executions as well to give a historical concept. So you can say, well, algo X is good in this pair and has this kind of performance. Algo Y has got different profile of performance in, against certain pairs and so on. So there are things that can be done. It is certainly challenging, but again, keeping a consistent and simple benchmark is the key message, I think. Okay, and on that sage advice, we'll wrap things up. As I said at the beginning, we've only scratched the surface of this topic so far, and so we'll have to have you back on the podcast at some point, John. But thank you for joining me today. Thank you too, Galen. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us. Please do join us again next time. Thank you for listening to the 360T Podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings. Thank you.